Welcome back. It's Monday, 27th of May, 1946. We only have a short letter from Betty today, so I thought we'd begin with an extract from her Shanxi Weekly Report, the Office of the Economic and Financial Advisor, prepared and submitted by Betty Souter. Under the heading of Civil, Military and Political Issues, Betty writes, The local newspapers have reported, without editorial comment, the suicide of Cheng Mao Ying, Commissioner of Food for Changxi Province, which occurred on May 10th while the Commissioner was on a tour of inspection around Qi'an. The newspapers said, It is authoritatively stated that his motive of self-murder was due to his failure to transport sufficient food supply to various districts. Although no public criticism has appeared in the press, this incident could be taken as a reflection on the UNRWA Chinra organization in its failure to solve the transportation problems of this province, a matter which is again referred to in detail in the sections of this report dealing with distribution and transportation. The report goes on to highlight the desperate plight of refugees and displaced persons throughout Nanchang and the greater Changxi province. And now, let's continue with the next chapter of the official story of UNRWA. Chapter 9. An UNRWA Legacy One of the first resolutions adopted at the first council session provided that all UNRWA supplies should be distributed within a country without regard to politics, race or religion. The administration worked unceasingly to carry out this policy to the letter. It took seriously any report which indicated any degree of discrimination, even unsupported allegations made in a news story or a magazine article, and dispatched trained observers to ferret out the truth. In the case of Yugoslavia, where it was charged that UNRWA supplies were being used, one, as a political weapon, and two, to clothe and transport the Yugoslav army, the administration sent in a special three-man mission to investigate. It was composed of a British army officer who was chief of supply planning in the Balkan command, a high French government official who had been director of judicial affairs in General de Gaulle's Department of Justice, and a citizen of the United States who had been an advisor in capital budgeting to the governor of Virginia. They were assisted by almost the entire mission staff. Their report? Misuse of UNRWA supplies in Yugoslavia was negligible and confined to local isolated cases. No evidence whatsoever that any substantial quantities of goods had been diverted to the Yugoslav army. Without reservation, most of the supplies were being efficiently distributed to all the people. The administration is confident, with the exception of China, where a civil war made distribution to all parts of the country and all people physically impossible, all but a trickle of its tremendous supplies were distributed without discrimination. Another early decision of the United Nations composing UNRWA was that relief supplies could be sold by a receiving government as well as given away. The reasoning behind the decision was a combination of the humanitarian and the practical. It was a basic UNRWA concept that all relief supplies essential to existence 
should be given without charge to anyone in distress who could not afford to pay for them. But for the most part, the people were able to pay in local currency. It was foreign exchange that was lacking. And where people could pay, it was better for the economy of the country that they should. Also, the bankrupt countries gravely needed more local currency in their own treasuries so they could put their battered health, welfare and other services to the people back into running order. Only then could they squeeze the most out of the UNRWA supplies. In addition, the countries had to have money to finance the UNRWA missions in their capital cities, to give them buildings to work in and live in, and to provide the necessary clerical help it was too expensive to import. And, finally, it was important that no country disrupt its economic system or its price structure, both already badly shaken by war, by throwing vast quantities of free goods onto the market. Agreements between the receiving governments and UNRWA, therefore, provided that supplies unused for direct relief should go into normal channels of trade or into state-owned stores for sale with the proceeds to be put into the sort of revolving fund and ploughed back into further relief and rehabilitation work until every UNRWA penny had bought the most it could. Most of the rehabilitation supplies were likewise sold or swung into cooperative use by the government. Thus the money which assisted countries took in from the sale of UNRWA goods is today a legacy which, for years, will continue to bring benefits to the people. In Italy, for example, this legacy totals close to 85 billion lira, and a five-year plan has been outlined for its use. Among the projects it is making possible are rehousing the bombed-out families of Naples, the continuation of UNRWA's anti-malarial, anti-tuberculosis and anti-trachoma campaigns, and of its special child-feeding programs. The Lira Fund is one of the factors which will enable Italy to continue her progress towards economic stability, and one of the reasons why the full impact of UNRWA's assistance cannot be measured. The story of UNRWA will continue in further episodes. But now, let's hear what Bet has to say. United Nations Relief and Rehabilitation Administration, Shangji Regional Office, Nanchang, 27th of May, 1946. Dear family, I have not had time to write that other letter after all, and I do not know when it will get written. The touring staff arrived back from their long inspection tour quite unexpectedly on Saturday, and I have been busy with their reports ever since. Looks like a week or more of solid work now to catch up with myself again. Therefore, I'm just enclosing a few odds and ends which you may find interesting and a couple more snaps which JR took or had taken on his camera. I'm still waiting for others to come back from Shanghai. The silk wool that I purchased was to refill Phil's little green cushion which I use constantly. It had flattened down to about half an inch but now it is quite nice and fat again. I am fit well. Nothing to worry about on my account, but it might help if you would say a little prayer asking for my sea luggage to arrive. This hot weather cuts me pretty short on the clothes. Lots of love to you all. More news at a later date. Bet. Production credits for this episode. 
produced and narrated by Warren Henry, the voice of Betty Souter by Helen Polkinghorne, and the featured tune, All Buttermilk Sky, performed by Kay Kaiser and his orchestra. Buttermilk sky, I'm keeping my eye peeled on you. What's the good word tonight? Are you gonna be mellow tonight? Oh, buttermilk sky, can't you see my little donkey and me? We're as happy as a Christmas tree, heading for the one I love. I'm gonna pop her the question, that question, do you, darling? Do you do? It'll be easy, so easy, if I can only bank on you, old buttermilk sky. I'm telling you why, now you know, keep it in mind tonight. Keep brushing those clouds from sight. Old buttermilk sky, don't feel me when I'm meeting you most. Hang a moon above her hitching post, hitch me to the one I love. from side all buttermilk sky don't feel me when I'm meeting you most hang a moon above her hitching post hitch me to the one I love buttermilk sky you can if you try don't tell me no lie will you be mellow when 